0: title is this who can read who can read can you read oh you think so do you maybe I'm about to prove to you that you can't now who can read in a language other than English who can read another language different to English come on let's see let's have some hands up here oh come on this is impressive come on we've got Rubel what other language can you read in Hindi. Can anybody else read in Hindi? There's Jibu at the back here. He can read in Hindi as well. You guys will be great on the Bollywood movies. We'll have to get an interpretation from you. Let's have another language. Who can read? I had some hands on it. Yes, this guy at the back. What can you read in? Portuguese. Wow. Tudo bem? Obrigado. You can read in binary. Oh, that's mathematical. That's a bit different. Get your barcodes out and read them in binary now. That's very impressive. Anybody read in a language other than Portuguese or Hindi or binary? Anything else? We must have a few others here. Chris, what can you read in? Some Greek, old and a little bit of new. When Tone comes back, I'm sure she'll join you in the new at least. Anybody reading something else? Yes, Abigail. You can read Greek. Impressive. We've got some Greek people and Greek scholars around. This is really good. Anybody else? Geordie, that is a harder language. Have you tried the Geordie Bible? Moses, this fella, and, uh, and Noah, gunning out from swan Hunters and Tyneside. I mean, it's a different language altogether. I read it and I still didn't understand. Yes? Spanish. How many people can read Spanish here? Two more people. Okay. ¿Usted puede leer en español? Sí. Tremendo. Uh, any other languages that we can read in? Sorry? Another in Portuguese? Yes? Yoruba. Oh, come on. Anybody, anybody else can do Yoruba? <laughs> what about... Um, sorry? Yin, yeah, what language can you read in? Chinese. Anybody read Chinese here? One more? Wow, we got another one over here. You can do German as well, can't you? we got some very talented people. Come on, Polish. Come on, we haven't done the Polish yet. Come on. I hope you haven't forgotten your Polish. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. Okay. I didn't check. How many people can actually read Geordie here? I mean, anybody understand Geordie? One, two. Michelle, you can do Geordie. That's very impressive from Cameroon. I think that's better than me, and I'm from this country. That's great. There's a couple of Geordie speakers over here, man. Hey, oh, a few over here. Oh, look at this. Awesome. Okay. Well, Mary, why you? you could write the dictionary, Mary. Awesome. (laughs) Dave, you must have had special lessons, because we can all understand you (laughs) sometimes. I just thought, yes, they can. They're canny people. Okay. Now, I want to speak to us under the title of, you know, Can You Read? Who Can Read? The importance of having a vision. And last week, I was reading a book myself. And this book was about human skills and endurance when we're under pressure or when things are really tough for us. And the author of this book went around visiting various groups of people to do research on people that really endure and survive and do things under all kinds of pressure. And he decided to go to this extreme sports centre because he'd heard something about them there. And one of the things they took him on was mountain biking well that's fairly extreme you think and they got him doing some of the most extreme mountain biking you've ever heard of now I thought I had heard of extreme mountain biking until I heard this guy's story Uh, a few years ago I was in the Lake District it was frozen ice and snow and we were climbing with ice axes and these guys were carrying bicycles on their backs past us. They were going quicker than we were, and we had the ice axes. And they're scrambling up with these bicycles to ride down the snow. But are they crazy? I mean, I couldn't stand up on the ice in boots and on an ice axe, But they were, were off mountain biking. Well, this place was even more extreme than that. They were riding downhill on a mountain through forest, listen to this, with a blindfold on. Now, is that extreme or not? I mean, that is seriously, seriously extreme. Would you go down a, a mountainside with boulders and trees on a mountain bike with a blindfold on? I mean, I wouldn't do it probably without the blindfold. I'd need some persuading now, having fallen off my bike once or twice. But to do it without the, with a the, with the blindfold on, without being to see, how scary is that? Well... I want to read a passage of Scripture to us now because the the importance of having our eyes open and being able to see what we're doing and where we're going is in this passage of Scripture. So this is in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 11 following. This is what Isaiah says. For you, this whole vision is nothing but words sealed in a scroll. And if you give the scroll to someone who can read and say, read this please, They will answer, I can't, it's sealed. Or if you give the scroll to someone who cannot read and say, please read this, please, they will answer, I don't know how to read. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules that they've been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish the intelligence of the intelligence will, intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, Who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, You did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, You know nothing? In verse 18, in that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll and out of gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord, the needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Now here Isaiah prophetically talks about a scroll and we're told what that scroll represents. It represents vision. And the best thing anyone can ever give any of us is vision. The number one thing God can give to his people to help them and encourage them and motivate them and turn their lives around and give them excitement, adventure and fulfillment and joy and purpose in life, the number one thing is vision. If you don't believe me, you can... Read the book of Habakkuk and see what you make of that. But there, God gives the prophet Habakkuk a tremendous vision of all that's going to come that God is going to do. And it's not all easy, but because he sees that on the last page God wins, it encourages his heart to trust God and really put his whole confidence and faith in the Lord. In fact, so much so, he rejoices in God in spite of the circumstances so what is a vision and why does God send a vision to people well a vision is the heart and purpose of God and what he does with a vision is he reveals his heart and purpose through the Holy Spirit to the spirits and hearts and minds of people And he does that for two reasons, so that we can know and so that we can do. He shows us what his heart and plan and purpose is so that we can be on board with him and understand his ways and then we can get on board with him and actually do it. A few years ago, one of Pastor Cesar's 12, Pastor Orlando Castaneda, was here in Newcastle and he was speaking. And he gave us a great simple definition of vision. He said this, a vision is the heart of God revealed to the mind of man so he can carry it out. A vision is the heart of God revealed to the mind of man so that he can carry it out. And when a vision comes to us from God, it brings not just understanding and insight, it also brings a deep impact and conviction in our lives and spirits too, that this is the right way, this is God's best way, and this is what we should be giving ourselves and our all to doing. Now, you notice that the scroll that Isaiah talks about is a vision. It's not a list. Imagine in some of the weddings we do here in church, if we get the bride and groom to the front and the bride gets here and the groom says to her, here's what I envisage for our marriage. And he paints this great vision of what their marriage is going to be like. We're going to have lots of fun together. We're going to do exciting things together. We're going to see new things that we've never seen before. We're going to explore new places we've never been. We're going to uh, encourage one another. See, that's a vision. And then imagine if the bride says back to him, well, here's what i've got for you you will always put the dustbins out on a thursday night you will always help wash up you will never argue back whenever i say anything you will make sure i have enough shoes dresses and handbags to keep me happy and so i mean that's a list can you see the difference one is an expression of possibilities one is an expression of desire and hope and purpose and motivation one calls you up higher, excites you. The other one, you think, oh, no, this is just a list of rules. And you notice what God gives us. He doesn't give us a list. He gives us an exciting, motivating, all-encompassing, heart-capturing, mind-inspiring vision for us to live by and to run with. And that's why the scroll is said to be a vision. It's to awaken us to what God is up to, so that we can join in with him. And you notice whose vision it is. Many people have their own vision for their own lives. And they ask God to come along and help them with that vision. But this is a different vision. This is God's own vision for himself. And he is saying, I will share with you my vision of where I'm going. Would you like to come and join me? I will share with you what my purpose is. I will share with you what I'm doing. Now, could you drop all of your doing to come and get a slice of this action, which is so much bigger and so much greater and so much better? Now, here's a challenge that goes with vision. When it comes to reading the scroll no one can read this scroll. Either people can't read. So even if you open the scroll for them, they would say, well, it doesn't make any sense to me. Or they can read, but the scroll is sealed up. You know how they did that in the old days? They would put wax on and they would use the wax to melt into the paper. And if it's sealed up, I can't get access to it. We would say, if it's locked up today, if there's some passcode on it or some password or some number like you have on your iphone or some fingerprint reader i can't open this thing to see what's inside of it either way there's this incredible scroll representing this incredible vision and people can't get access to it now later in the passage we read that people do get access that people can actually read this. And it's God's intention that we unseal the scroll, as it were, and read what's in it. So how do we get from this place of not being able to read it to being able to read it? Now, that's going to come a bit later on. But I want to speak a bit more about vision first. When we talk about our purpose as a church, we talk about having a vision. Can you see why now? We don't want to give you a set of lists and rules and regulations or requirements. We don't have a lot of uh, requirements about belonging to this church. We don't have a list of rules that you have to sign your name or write a letter to some committee to, to say, can I join? We give you nothing like that. Instead, what we want to give you is this. We want to give you a vision. A vision of all you can be in God. A vision of what God wants to do in this city. A vision of what God wants to do in our lives. A vision of what God wants to do with you. We give you a vision just like it would be for that marriage that I described earlier. We want this vision to captivate you and inspire you and grip you and get a hold of you and keep holding on to you for all the rest of your days. Because it's that kind of vision. Does anybody want a vision rather than a list? Some of you do. Let me ask you again. Does anybody want a vision rather than a list? Amen. Well, that's why we're a vision church. We are seeking to live by vision, and we're seeking to pass on vision, and we're seeking to encourage with vision, and we're seeking to motivate with vision, and we're seeking to give people purpose through vision. Now, the vision that we have in our church, we call the G12 vision. And we're going to unpack that some more as we go through this morning, what that actually means. But we believe God has sent to us in these days a motivating, inspiring, transforming vision to encourage and equip our lives and to get us on board with him. And that's what we believe this G12 vision is all about. Now, let me ask you something about vision here in the church. Does anybody know what the G12 vision is? What would you say that is? Anybody give me an answer? Colin. Government of, government of 12. Very good. We'll unpack that later and see why we call it the government of 12. John. For God and for that's the basic vision value passion for God, compassion for people. Does that sound like a good set of values to you? Yeah. I think that's a great summary of the Word of God to be passionate for God and highly compassionate for the people around us. I don't think it gets any better than that. Simple, but well-expressed. Any other descriptions of the G12 vision? Anybody else tell me what, what, what's in it, what it's, it's about? When consolidate, disciples send. Why? Why when consolidate, disciples send? To make disciples. Thank you, Ruth. That's the Great Commission, and it's it's a modern reworked way of expressing Matthew 28 our vision and purpose is not to get followers but to make disciples because disciples turn into leaders and the job of any leader is to make more leaders that's the key and we do that through winning people through working with them to establish them in Christ we call that consolidation there's a lot of stuff in there we do it through discipling people and training them up to be leaders themselves and we do it through sending people to give them a purpose and a calling and a ministry as well now take a look around the room here because before we even came across the g12 vision or just as we were doing that god spoke to me and he showed me the people in this church wearing vicar's collars you know what i mean by a dog collar see look around can you see the dog collars on everybody this morning You're all priests today. You all have a dog collar or a vicar's collar. Yes? Some of you look like you don't believe. You are all ministers of the new covenant. Every one of you is ordained. And God spoke to me so powerfully at the time and said, you don't want a church full of unordained people. You want a church full of clergy. You want a church where everybody is a vicar. You want a church where everybody is a minister. Because then I can say, will you pray for the sick? And will you preach the sermon next week? And will you raise the dead and you walk on water? Thank you, I'm going to have a holiday now. (laughs) That's our vision, that everyone is included in this. And part of the G12 vision is to work in our lives, to get us through our hurts, habits, hang-ups, sins, problems issues whatever's holding us back we had some of that ministry here today in in the meeting and Paul brought that word whatever is holding us back Sally brought it what about those disciples being anointed they hadn't been particularly extra holy that week necessarily but God sent his Holy Spirit on them anyway our vision is to work in our lives so that we can be fit to carry out this vision that our family life could have an incredible quality about it that other people would look on and say, Wow, what is it about your family that really speaks to me? And if, I, if we're not there yet, let me say this to you let us work with you. Don't sit at home and struggle in your family life if it's not going well. Get some help. Talk to us about it. And we will share some things with you. And I promise you this when we do, I'll promise you two things. Number one, you won't like it. And number two, it will work. <laughs> I'm serious. We get very few returns in the church. By that, I mean not many people bring the product back. If you listen to this vision and you carry out the heart and spirit of this vision, it will work for you. I promise you that. You can have a money-back guarantee, except it's free, but nobody brings it back. Either it works or they're too scared. But one way or the other, they don't bring it back. Now, seriously, this vision works in families. It transforms lives, it transforms families, and it's transforming nations. And it can transform us as a church, it can transform us as a society. And if anybody can show me anything better in the British Isles today, well then bring it on. I'd like to see it because so far I've seen nothing as good and nothing better. Nothing that really transforms the lives of people and really raises people up from the dust and, and gives them a pride and a confidence in God that they walk tall with their head high and their shoulders back and they say, I can do this thing for God. I'm got a hold of God and God has got a hold of me, I have a purpose, I have a willingness, I have a, go- a goal and a destiny, and I'm going to do this thing. And God is at work in my life now. This vision does that for people. And if we can get a hold of it, it will do it for us too. The question is, can we read? Can we read the scroll? Can we unseal it and find out what's on it in order for us to really apprehend and know and do and outwork this Vision. Well, that's the question. Can we do that? Here, Isaiah says nobody's able to do that. Now, why is that? Why is it that the, the vision comes and yet people can't access it? Let me look at two examples for you in the ministry of Jesus to find out why. And Jesus actually quotes Isaiah in his own ministry. Because when he comes, he comes with the vision of God and as he comes people fall into two camps those that don't get it and those that don't get it hang on a moment that's the same there's those that don't get it and those that don't get it but the one group listen and think very nice and they go home to watch he send And the other group, you wouldn't watch that in the north, would you? But anyway, they go and watch something. But the other group, they don't get it. And so when Jesus is walking off the stage or the platform, wherever he's speaking, the the, the rocky outcrop that he's speaking to the crowds on or from the boat that he's preaching from, they say, Jesus, you're going to have to explain this vision some more to me because I don't get it. That's when you get it. When you go to him and say, tell me some more, because right now it's not connecting from here to here, which, as we know, is the longest distance in the world. I mean, I'm hearing you say something, Jesus, but somehow I can't make this match up with my experience. Can you help me? I was always taught up to be- brought up to believe this. I was always taught this other stuff in synagogue, wherever. And that's when Jesus got the breakthrough, especially with his close disciples. That's how... We apprehend the vision when we come to Jesus. So let's have a look at what it's like. He says to them in Matthew thirteen, fourteen, talking to the, the people of his day, he says, In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding, you'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. You, you you keep looking, you keep looking to read this thing, but you don't get it. For this people's hearts have become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? It works. If people can just read this thing, it will get through to them and their lies will turn around, they'll hear something, they'll see something, they'll understand something and they would be healed. Blessed are your eyes, here's the second group, because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. But your eyes can see and your eyes can hear and you can be blessed. Can anyone say amen to that? Amen. Amen. All you got to do is turn up to the extra class with Jesus in the house and that's where the understanding comes because that's where they're getting here. Now, here's another example. Matthew 15, 7. And here Jesus actually quotes the passage that we were reading just now. Matthew 15:7. He says, You hypocrites. That's a great line to get supporters. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules or traditions. And Jesus takes that straight out of the passage and applies it to the people of his day. Can you see when Jesus comes, he brings the scroll. He brings the vision and people can't access it of themselves. And we'll look at that in in a moment and see why. But don't stop there, he's saying. The, the important thing is to be able to get this thing. Dave, my next scripture, could, I don't know if you can get the next one up. Not yet, but I got it from the King James version because it's actually slightly better in the New King James. If, if you can get it for me in that version before we put it up. Here's the curious thing. Jesus is surrounded by people at this moment and they want what he's got and yet they don't. We spent a few days in Italy while we were away. We were uh, away ministering in Europe to a couple of different churches in Germany. And we had a few days gap in between the, the two long weekends that we were doing. So we thought, let's go somewhere. And the border with Italy wasn't too far away. So we drove through the Alps in Switzerland. Switzerland, very nice. And we went to Italy. Now, I don't know what Italy speaks of to you. Pizza... Pasta, Pavarotti, all begins with P, doesn't it, anyway. But to me, Italy means something else other than those things. Italy, to me, means Ferrari. (laughs) (laughs) Or Lamborghini, if you want a bit of rivalry, and so on. Now, most Italians drive around in silver hatchbacks that are about 20 years old, pretty beaten up. And if you see the way Italians drive, you would understand why they do that. Because why would you want to take a nice Ferrari out on those roads to scratch it? But I saw one or two Ferraris while I was there. They are around. See, Sally took pictures of Lake Como and Lake Maggiore and the (laughs) Sunset and the historic buildings. I was just interested in the Ferraris. But I don't have Instagram, so you didn't see that. Here's the thing. I would like a Ferrari, but I wouldn't. I mean, I wish I had enough money to buy a Ferrari, don't you? I mean, I don't want the Ferrari. I just wish I had the money. You're talking half a million dollars upwards. That's just for the second-hand new scratch ones. This is expensive stuff. And in the same way, the vision of Jesus is like that. This is expensive stuff. It is costly to follow Jesus. Did you know that? Now, how much does it cost to follow Jesus? Can anyone tell me? everything your whole life you see you don't measure this in monetary terms you may we measure this in terms of commitment and life and the amazing thing about that is everyone can afford one now not everyone can afford a ferrari but everyone can afford a vision because the price is simply everything you have That's it, everything you have. It's like the man that buys the pearl in the Bible. And he says he was a merchant of pearls and he was looking for the pearl of greatest price. This guy knew what he was looking for. He collected pearls, but there was one pearl that was bigger and purer and better than all other pearls put together. And he knew that if he ever came across that pearl, he would go for it. And he did, he found it. So he sees the pearl of greatest price in the shop window. He goes in and asks the the shopkeeper, will you sell me that pearl? He says, of course, sir, how much is it? So You couldn't afford it. What do you mean I can't afford it? Well, you couldn't afford it. Some of the richest men in the world haven't been able to afford this pearl. How much is it? Well, everything. Everything you have. What do you mean everything I have? Well, Well, Let's start. If you want to buy it, what have you got? Well, I've got a house. All right, we'll take that for a start. Then I'll have to sleep in the car. You got a car, have you? Well, we'll take that as well. That's no good. I'll have to sleep in the dog kennel. We we'll take the dog and the kennel. Well, where would my wife and children? You have a wife and children, yes? Right, we'll have those too. <laughs> How much money have you got? Well, I've got some money in the bank. Right, we'll have all of that. Um, I've got some uh, change in my pocket. We'll take all of that too. Everything that's in your wallet, we we'll take the lot. Now, can I have the pearl? No. Nope. Why not? You've got my wife, my kids, my house, my car, my job. I mean, you've got, you've got everything. Well, what about your skills and your talents and your time? All right, all right, you can have those as well. Now can we have it? No. Well, what else can I give you? I want you. You have to go on the pile as well. But if I give you me, there'll be nothing left. Correct. But you do get the pearl. Now, what do you want, the pearl or you? Which is it going to be? Is the pearl worth more than you or are you worth more than the pearl? Okay, you can have me as well. Right, he gets the pearl. And the guy says to him as he's leaving the shop, just one thing, he said, I now own a house, a car, a job, a bank balance, some money on the table here, a family, children, a dog, a dog kennel, and you. I need someone to look after them for me. Would you mind looking after them for me? But remember, they're mine. Anytime I want them, I call on them. Anytime I want them back, I'll ask them back from you. Can you look after them for me? Steward them, but not regard them as your own, but regard them as mine. I can do that. Thank you. Now you can have the pearl. That's how it works to get a vision. That's how it works to get hold of what Jesus is doing and saying. He gets all of us and everything, but we get this incredible pearl of great price. Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus and his vision. Now, I want to just go to the future for a moment and look at another scripture from Revelation chapter 5, because we find the future is all about vision as well as the past all about vision. Have we got that, Dave? Okay, let's have it on the screen. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, don't weep because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has... Prevailed. Why don't you say that with me? Has prevailed. Has prevailed. To open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat Now there's a lot of imagery here and we need to understand how to understand the book of Revelation. You're not meant to imagine Jesus with seven eyes and seven horns sticking out of his head. That's picture language to tell you something, that he sees everything and he's got all power. So you imagine this picture of Jesus coming in and he has all power and he sees everything. I hope that makes you feel scared. He sees everything and he has all power that should make anybody on earth be scared including our political leaders i'll say it again he sees everything and he has all power and he was crucified on a cross and he still bears the marks of that cross in his hands and his feet and his side that's the lamb slain And when he walks in, you know where he's come from because you can see it in his hands and you can see it in his face and you can see it in his body. He died for us and rose again. And because of that, he is worthy to undo this scroll. Now, it's all about a scroll in Revelation. What you get is the first three chapters are about the churches and it's letters to them where they're at. And then... John is invited up into heaven in chapter 4 about what must soon happen. This is not a book about the future very far ahead. Most of Revelation was taking place when it was written. Did you know that? It's only some bits of it about the end of the world. And if you read it some other way, you'll get the wrong end of the stick. My own reading of this is Revelation was happening as it was happening. And as the church was under pressure and persecution, as things were really hotening up and tough for them in the Roman Empire, Jesus was among the churches encouraging them and correcting them. And then he invites John into heaven to see what's about to happen. And what's about to happen? It's all about a scroll, a vision. Revelation, the book of Revelation, is a vision or a revelation. And this scroll is containing God's purpose in the earth. And it works like this. Hang on in there, church. It's going to get really tough for the world. And because you live in the world, it's not going to be easy for you either. But if you endure to the end, God will come through for you and you will see the breakthrough and you will see the transformation and you will see the change and you will see the lamb victorious on the throne as he is going to be at the end of the age when he is completely and finally victorious. You don't even have to wait till then. He's on the throne now. He's reigning now. He has all power and he sees everything now and he will help you now. And what do everybody do? They say, hallelujah and you have this great worship meeting going on it encourages the saints to worship even though life is tough and here it's all about a scroll it's all about a vision that he's going to give and you notice the same as in Isaiah nobody can read it nobody can unroll this scroll and tough as the vision is nobody can get at it But John wants the vision to be unscrolled. He wants it to be unrolled and read. He wants this vision to happen because he knows that through this vision, God is going to achieve his purpose in the earth and glorify himself and do great and wonderful things to change all our lives for the better. And so John weeps. He weeps and he weeps and he weeps. Could you imagine going to heaven and crying? I thought there was no crying in heaven. Seriously. But there is crying in heaven when the vision can't be read. Think about that. John is distressed. I guess he's only a visitor there. But he is distressed that this vision cannot be unwrapped. And no one is able to read this scroll except Jesus. And the whole of the book of the Re- Revelation from that point onwards is about Jesus unsealing the scroll and reading out what's on it and letting it play out in the world. Jesus is the one who can unroll the vision. Jesus is the one who can give us eyes to see the vision, and ears to hear the vision, and a heart to receive the vision and to outwork it. And Jesus alone, our own fallen human nature is not able to unpack this. Our own fallen, backward sliding human nature is not sufficient to get a hold of this vision and this scroll, but Jesus is. And if we get a hold of him, he's got the scroll. If we get a hold of him through the cross, through the lamb that was slain, if we're willing to give up all for him and lay it all down for him and live totally for him and sold out for him, guess what you get? You get not only him, but you get the scroll as well. You get the vision. And that's the challenge for all of us. Can I get the vision that God has for me in my life and in this age? Well, Let's go back to Isaiah and find out practically to finish off with how we can get this vision. Can we have the scriptures back up there please, Dave? Now, Isaiah mentions a number of things That stop people really getting what's on the scroll. Here are some things. One of the things he picks out is lip service. He says, This people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. If we just go through the motions of the Christian life, that's the same as lip service. I think we want better than that. Have you ever seen a marriage that's just going through the motions, but there's no real heart in it? Have you ever worked with anybody whose heart's in the job? I worked with a guy once. He was retiring uh, that month. He was so difficult to work with. I mean, he just didn't want to do a thing. He would sit behind his desk and the customers would come in. But you go and see them. I'm retiring at the end of the month. I'm planning my retirement party. It was so frustrating. There was not a bit of motivation in him at all. how we want the Christian life and church to be? We call that maintenance mode, just getting by each day. He would open the shop up and he would shuffle a few papers around and sweep the floor and be polite to the customers if he really had to and then lock up at the end of the day. That's, that's just causing, keeping something existing. So much of the church is caught in that. We do not want to be locked in maintenance mode. We want to be locked in multiplication mode. And when you see the vision of God, that's When you see the heart of God is to spread this message from one to another and multiply in the earth. The human race is multiplying naturally. When I first started teaching, I used to teach various things to do with geography and uh, humanities and so on and science as well. And we were working on population then. And the number of people we were working on was 3.9 billion in the world. Now we're working on 7.25 billion. What a difference. The world has almost doubled from the time i started teaching until now phenomenal we've got a lot of catching up to do the only way we can get people saved and the gospel out there is to multiply but we won't do it if we're if we're playing lip service another thing is traditions now jesus says in matthew 15 6 just before the passage we read he said this and by this you invalidated the word of god for the sake of your traditions. Do you know nothing can break the word of God according to Jesus, but human traditions can take the power out of the word of God to change our lives. Did you know that? And let me tell you some traditions. It's not just church traditions. It's even our own family traditions. I was trying to do a discipleship course, and one of the guys didn't turn up. This is in a previous church. And I said to him, why didn't you come? You committed yourself to come to every one of these meetings. He said, Oh, it was my wife's cousin's nephew's birthday, and I had to go. Because that's our family tradition. Even our own family traditions can neutralize the Word of God. Do you know what? He never came to another meeting after that, and his discipleship stopped there. A little bit of tradition robbed him of progress in the Word of God. And our traditions, what we're used to, what we've got comfortable with, what we think is right, can stop us from going on into what God says in the vision. And it's a big one. It's the only one that can take the word of God and totally neutralize it. It's that powerful. And I caution you today, be careful of your traditions. Be wary of your traditions. Be thoughtful about invoking any tradition. Because if that tradition isn't truly from God, isn't truly from the Spirit of God, then it will neutralize the vision of God and the Word of God in your life. So here's how it works, for example, with the G12 vision. Well, it's not in our tradition for women to minister in church. This is for the men. So we'll only have the men doing it. And I'm a woman, I won't take part in it. That's a tradition that's not godly. Women are called to this ministry as well as men. It's All over the New Testament. Women, I want to say today, you are vicars too. Whatever arguments they have in other church about women vicars, you are women vicars here today, all right? You can minister to other women. And you can do that in a variety of ways, But God wants to spread his message in the earth through you. And in every G12 church where they have women ministering as well as men ministering, I think I'm right in saying this, the women's ministry is always bigger than the men's ministry. They beat the men every time. I wonder why that is. Because they're good at it. Women, you're good at what you do. So please do it some more. Please don't say I can't, but I can. That's a tradition that we want to get rid of in the church that women can't. Women can. God bless you as you do and not be held back by other traditions. Human wisdom is another one. God says he will confound the wisdom of the wise. There are all kinds of people around today who think they know what to do. We call them experts. We have become a culture of experts, and it's made us afraid to do anything. We weren't always a culture of experts. This also was in the book I was reading last week. Until the Industrial Revolution in this country, that's about 200 years ago, everybody knew how to do a bit of everything. We lived in villages, and you could nail a horseshoe on if you had to, or you could help somebody deliver a baby if you had to, or cook an egg if you had to, or do something equally as complicated as that. Everybody did a bit of everything. But then the Industrial Revolution came along, and we had experts. We suddenly had expert machinists and expert designers, and they they did some great things. They achieved great standards, but there was a law of unintended consequences working. And the unintended consequence was this. Everybody else thought, I'm not an expert. I can't do this thing. And nowadays, we live in a world full of experts. We don't even play our own sport anymore. We leave that to experts. They're 400 metres away. Well, they're not experts, but some of them are. Um, (laughs) We we have, we have experts experts play our sports for us. We should be out kicking a can around in the street or a ball ourselves. Instead we go and watch experts do it and then we criticize them from the from the bleachers and the benches. We have experts to tell us all kinds of things. And now we even have experts in the church called priests and vicars. And we all watch as spectators. We do you know we have another thing we have is experts for music. Do you know know what the best music is? If I ask you what the best music is, I'll have a range of opinion in here. But I'll tell you what the best music is, and you'll all agree with me. The best music is the music that comes from inside of you. That's the best music. But we don't do that anymore. We give that to experts now. People have stopped learning instruments. They stop creating their own music. We're giving it all away to experts. And there's a whole lot of human wisdom in our society which says, I know how to do this. You watch me and follow me. Do you know what? God is not fooled by that. God is not on the side of human experts. He's only one expert, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is accompanied by the other expert, the Holy Spirit. And they're the ones that make the church work. And they're the ones that equip all of us we don't want to become a spectator people like the football ground or the music show or anything else. We want to be able to do these things ourselves according to the wisdom of God, which is always different than the way people do things. If you want to know what God's way is, here's a simple rule for you. Look at what everybody else is doing and then do the opposite. You're more likely to find God's way by doing that. The majority, the crowd, the, the multitudes who turn up, generally speaking, they get it wrong every time. That's why they're the multitudes. That's why Jesus didn't follow them. He called them to follow him. And with human wisdom, there's another thing that gets in the way, is human intelligence. We're clever enough. We can work this out. We know how to do this. We have enough insight and and wisdom in ourselves. Do you know what? This, again, is part of the expert intelligence culture. Let me encourage you. I am not against intellectuals or learning or anything else, but I would say this to you. I think most of the trouble in the world has been caused by educated people. Not always, but a good deal of it. And I've been around some of these educated people. And I've heard some of the things I've said. And I tell you, it is complete and utter nonsense compared to the word of God. And being the kind of person I am, I have told them so. This may be why I didn't get promotion at my last job in quite the same way I'd hoped. Um, But I, I took on senior people in our county, advisors about the bringing up of children. And they'd never even thought of some of the simple basic biblical principles. I took on philosophers in colleges about their view of children differing from the Bible, and I took the wisdom of Scripture against them, and I argued the point. Well, I tell you what, they are losing hand of a fist. They're not turning out the young people they thought they were going to by the system of schooling they've got. The intelligence of this world does not work. It doesn't work in the church. It doesn't work out there in the world. We have to have the Jesus intelligence of Scripture In order to really get a hold of God's vision, we have to see it through God's eyes. And another thing that nullifies the vision is our own plans. When we have plans that we work out for ourselves before really consulting the Lord, that stops us reading the scroll. It stops us being able to understand the vision of God. We've already crowded God out. Now, we call this a baked cake, and it works along these lines. Pastor, I want you to approve my marriage to this person. No sense of, would you pray about this? No sense of, is this right? No sense of, I think I like this person. Shall we start a process of praying with God? They've decided it all themselves and they want you to come along and rubber stamp it afterwards that this is okay. That is not the way to find the vision of God. That is not the way to be pastored in a church. By the way, that's not the way to find the right person to be married necessarily either. People present you with a baked cake. What we're looking for is to be involved at the ingredients level. Well, Lord, I want to make a cake. What kind of cake shall I make? Holy Spirit, I want to make like a fruit cake. No, no, we're not into fruitcakes today. Good idea to make a cake. But I think we'll do a Victoria Sponge today. Okay, Lord, if you say Victoria Sponge, we'll do Victoria Sponge. I'm making some of you feel hungry, aren't I? This getting me your lunch. <laughs> you walk with God and you work with God and you listen to his voice and. When you buy that pearl of great price and you surrender all to Jesus, you surrender your own plans and the things you want to do with your life and the way you want your life to run. The number of people have come to you in the past and said, I'm moving here to take this job because it's a good job for me. Please bless me and I want to find a church at the other end of some description. That's not the way we do this thing. Lord, where are you calling me to? Lord, what people do you want me to belong to? That's where you go. You go for the people of God. Well, Lord, you better find me a job in that case to go with it. That's how we've always moved. Our own plans nullify and get in the way of the vision of God. The the effect of all of this is to make us hard-hearted towards the vision. Now, our vision is the G12 vision, and I don't want to be hard-hearted towards that. I want to win, consolidate, disciple, and send, starting with all of you. I want us to be able to live by this vision and for this vision because it's a vision of what God can do in the earth today to turn things around and really bring men and women to himself. So very briefly to finish with, how? What's the antidote to those five things? It's right at the end of the last verse there, Dave. If You can find it. I think it's about verse 19. It says this. The humble will rejoice in the Lord, the needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. If you want to read the scroll, if you want to have a vision in your heart and mind and life of what God can do in you and through you and through this vision that we're seeking to bring to you all the time and live by and do and see work in us, there are two simple qualifications. Be humble and be needy. God gives grace to the humble. God I can't do this on my own. I can't win the world for Jesus on my own. Can you help me, Lord? God, I'm struggling with this issue. Can you help me where I can't help myself? I know I need you, Lord. When we're humble and needy, that's when God can speak to us. When we're humble and needy, that's when God can speak to us. When we're really ready I used to work in a school which had a swimming pool. And the guy that ran the swimming pool and taught swimming was um, like a senior lifeguard. And I did some work with him and learned a few things from him and, and so on. I asked him one day, I said, have you ever actually had to rescue anybody? He said, yes, once in all my life I had to rescue somebody. It was a swollen river river thames near oxford and somebody had fallen in and i jumped in and i rescued i said did you rescue he said i did well tell me about it what was it like he said it was the most draining experience of my life i was in the water minutes but it felt like hours and he said i was fighting the river and that was really hard. The river was, was brown, it was, it was in winter, and it was flowing very fast. And you've got to be a very strong swimmer in the Thames to get through the, the, the strong currents it has. He said, but my worst problem was fighting the person because they were panicking and they didn't want to be rescued. I said, well, what did you do? He said, well, normally you give, you give the person something to grab onto so they can't grab onto you and pull you down because the people get so desperate, they actually pull you down as well as themselves. And he said, what you have to do is you get up to the person and you have to try and support them without them pulling you down. And normally you have to wait until they've run out of fight. When they're so desperately needy, they're just, okay, do whatever you need to do. I'm not going to fight you anymore. And that's when he was able to rescue this person. When we've given up the fight in ourselves, and it's the same with God. When we stop struggling with God when we give up the fight and the fights that are in ourselves, when we yield all to God, that's when we're truly needy and we become humble. And it's at that point that we can see the vision. As long as we think we know better than the rescuer, we'll be fighting them. But when we trust that person to grab our hair or whatever they do and pull us out of the water when we trust God to take a hold of our lives and rescue us and set us in a good place, that's when we're truly needy and humble. We have a scroll from the Lord. We have a vision. I want to ask you, can you read it? Can you read? Can you read and understand the vision of God for our lives and purpose as a church today? Do I get it? Do I really get this vision? How humble and needy am I prepared to be with God in order to read the scroll that he has for us and get a hold of this vision, let it get a hold of us? I tell you this. If we all can read that scroll in a word, transformation, it will transform our lives individually. It will transform our families. It will transform our workplaces. It will transform our church. It will transform our city. We don't need many people to get it. Just enough, just a few like the disciples, to make this thing grow and multiply let's bow our heads and pray does anyone here today want to read the scroll does anyone here today want to say God give me this vision afresh if I've partly got it let me get it completely if I've not got it yet let me get it today God give me a vision of growth and multiplication, Give me a vision that I too can be a servant of yours, that I can lead other people for you, that I can minister to them, that I can reach out to them, that my life can overcome in God. I can get my family and myself in order in such a way that I can be an example and a witness and a leader and an influence on others. If anybody wants that vision? Anybody wants to read that scroll? I'm going to invite you to stand now. And we're going to pray for you. God. Thank you. The great William Booth said this. It was a turning point in his life. He said, once I had a vision of all that God could do for the poor in the streets of London. I was prepared to give God all of me. And that was his vision, that God could have all of him because he saw a vision of what God could do with the ordinary poor people of London. And he made that vision come true. And God was able to work in his life. Father, we pray now for a vision that comes from you, for a revelation and an understanding that my life can get to the top of the mountain, that I can get to that place of stability and holiness and godliness and breakthrough in you that I can be on fire for you, that I can be passionate for you and compassionate about the lost. God, give us a vision of ourselves that we can be useful for you, that we can be transformed by you, that we can be on fire by your Holy Spirit, that we can be so in love with Jesus, we don't care about what people think, we don't care about anything else except the love and mercy of God being demonstrated in this world. God, give us a vision for ourselves that we can be transformed. And Lord, we pray, give us a vision now in our hearts and minds. Let us read the scroll through Jesus. Let us understand that as we surrender all and lay down everything before Him, we can be those men and women who can win 12, who can raise up disciples and teach them to do the same thing. And we can win and consolidate and disciple and send and go into this world. And we can multiply faith and the gospel and the life of Jesus in the lives of others. God, we pray now, reveal your scroll to us. Open this scroll. Let us read it. Let no one say, I can't read. Let no one say the vision is sealed up. But Jesus, in you today, we come to you. We come to the cross we come to the blood that you shed and say, Jesus, as we surrender all to you today, the scroll is open, the vision is revealed and the plan of God and the purpose of God and the willingness of God to use us is put in front of us. And Lord, like Isaiah, we want to come to that place and say, here am I, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me, Lord, here we are send us into this world that's so lost and so needy. God, we pray, give us such a passion, such a compassion, such a vision to say we can win we can consolidate, we can disciple, we can send, we can lead, we can grow, we can multiply because that's the call and vision of God for us. And it depends on His will and power. And when we come to you, just as it was in the book of Revelation, Lord, you are able to outwork your power. Jesus, we just look at you now around the throne of God. You have all power. You see everything. And you can make this vision a reality in the world, in us today. Jesus, send your vision to us now. Send your vision afresh. And send us with your vision to grow and multiply the disciples in the world today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if anybody knows that God is speaking to now, and you just want to raise your hands and say, Lord, I want to buy that pearl. I just want to let go of a whole lot of things. I just want to yield to you. I want to just offer my life like Elijah's altars. Even though it's wet and it's hard to burn, I still want to offer what I have to you Jesus everything goes on the altar right now then you can raise your hands as a sign to the Lord of surrender Lord we surrender to you today Lord we yield to you today and I pray in that yielding will come on us a grace from the Holy Spirit a grace such a freedom and liberty such a peace peace I've given it all to God. I've stopped struggling with my rescuer. I'm in his arms. Whatever he wants, wherever he wants me to go, whatever his will and plan and purpose is, that's that's mine now. Lord, we yield to you. We yield all of this to you now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you.